Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Hey, hey, hey. Good morning. How's everybody doing? How's Project Church doing? So excited to see you all here this morning. I'm really excited for the word this morning. Before I jump in, I just want to reiterate one thing. Hope Week is happening very soon. Hope Week, people. Yes, okay. Hey, listen, we really, truly, truly believe that um, the Bible is our guide, right? We say that that's our, our, our blueprint, and I really believe that there's nothing greater There's no greater impact on our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturity than reflection on Scripture. But what makes reflection on Scripture even more um, impactful is when we go out and do what the Bible tells us to do, right? And Hope Week is our opportunity to do that, and it's our opportunity to unleash generosity and hope in a world that needs hope and in a community that needs hope. And you've been placed in the community that you're in because God wants you to be a light in that community. Do you believe that? He's called us out of darkness into his light so that others might have his light as well. So sign up for Hope Week. It's going to be good. You are going to be blessed. God is going to be generous to you as you're generous to your community. All right. So like I said, nothing greater, no greater impact can be made on our lives or our spiritual maturity or spiritual growth than studying the word, which is why we are in Mark Um, If you haven't been here before, we are in the middle of a series where we're studying the book of Mark, and we're going um, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because we truly believe that the Word of God is um, our guide. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and we're going to be powerful people when we digest this Word, ingest it, and live it, live it out. And so I'm just going to jump in right away. Um, Mark 5, 21 through 43, if you have your Bibles, please turn to that, or if not, you can follow along on the screen. Also, I want to just set it up real quick. We're in the middle of watching Jesus perform crazy, crazy miracles. So he had calmed a storm recently just by saying, peace, be still, and the storm became like mega, like, like, the storm um, went away, dissipated, the waves just calmed down, and the wind stopped, and there was a mega calm, a mega calm, and that's what the actual translation says, a mega calm on the sea, and it was like glass, right? And that's what God can do. What else does he do? He, um, he, he cast demons out of an individual that had thousands of demons in him and he brought those demons and threw them onto pigs and some pigs ran themselves off a cliff and everybody in that city was like peace out Jesus there's our like livelihood but guess what the eternal destination of the person who was freed from those demons um, is different because of what he experienced amen And that's more important than the earthly things of this world. Sometimes we can get really mad at God for some things. um, But when we understand the miracle that he's done, then we have hope and we have um, peace, right? And so what we're going to talk about right this morning is... Um, a couple more miracles that God performs through Jesus. Jesus performs a couple miracles. And I really believe that it's going to help us understand the potential that we have in our lives when we go through painful situations. 
Anybody been through a painful situation? A couple of weeks ago when I spoke on the storm, the storms that we go through, we're, we say that we're either going into the storm, in the middle of a storm, or coming out of a storm, right? And everyone's like, cool, I'm really encouraged. I'm about to go through a storm, and I'm in the middle of a storm, so you're just telling me that there's a storm. Yes, life brings us storms. Life brings us pain. But we have to shift our perspective and understand that God has potential in the pain. When he shifts our perspective, then we're able to see that he is at work. He is at work. Even like that song was saying, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. God is working on our behalf, and I want to set the tone with that. Amen? All right, so jump into the word. I was kind of getting carried away. So here we go. Mark 5, 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, Seeing Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Somebody say 12 years. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd, oh, in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter, daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, he said this to Jairus, do not fear only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old, and they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray real quick. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that it gives us life and that it um, reveals that you are alive and well and you speak to us through this word. So God, I pray that um, you would illuminate the word to our hearts and our minds that we might be transformed from the inside out because of what it says and God, that faith would rise in this place and God, that our perspective on our pain would shift because of your words here today. May you speak through me. Um, may it not be my words, but your words and may you be honored and just 
alive and well and tangible in this place. We love you in your precious name. Amen. 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 Are you ready? Are you ready? How many people are ready for God to come through on a situation that you've been asking him to come through on? Right? You're just like, ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. But guess what? There's something called delays. How many people love when you're delayed for a flight? Nobody likes delays. But I want you to understand that, and we're going to look through a few Ds um, that this word reveals. And the first D is this, the delays of Jesus. The delays of Jesus. Do you ever feel like God just is never on your timeline? Just never on our timeline. Well, there's a woman here that we read about who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. That's why I said say 12 years because I really want you to understand and allow that to sink in your minds. 12 years this woman has been dealing with the same chronic issue. 12 years. And you, you're like, oh, yeah, bleeding, bummer. Let me, un, let, me, let me unpack that for you a little bit. She's living in 12 years of total, utter humiliation. When you are bleeding, you are actually um, having to dress yourself in a different way during this time. You are ostracized from society. And, you're, and if you are by any chance see anybody, you have to be dressed in such a way that actually reminded me of Heidi and, and Josue. Did anybody see the ketchup and mustard walking around in the lobby? They are so committed, our kids workers. And somebody say, amen, we got some kids workers who are committed, but they look goofy, all right? They look super goofy, but let me unpack this whole, but I, I, Heidi, Josue, wherever you are, thank you for your commitment to the children. Your kids are having fun down there, okay? Um, but I, I, I want you to understand that there's humiliation that she's walking through. She has to dress a certain way and everybody knows you are unclean. That's humiliating. Sexually, she can't touch her husband. Socially, she can't be around people. Maternally, she can't have children. Spiritually, she cannot be in the synagogue because she's unclean. When you're unclean, you have to remove yourself. And financially, she's flat broke. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. She's been waiting for 12 years and living in utter discouragement. I want you to think about all those, all those items that are causing her to be discouraged. You better believe she was ready and desperate to meet Jesus who could possibly give her a healing, right? Now, what you don't realize in this place probably is that, you know, 12 years is a long time, but Jairus, the man we read about who, who's, whose daughter is sick and has a fever, is probably experienced perhaps the greatest delay for anyone who would have ever called himself or herself a, a Christ follower, a believer, because here's what happened. Jairus, is a, he's a great moral man. I, I need to give you a little background on him. He's prominent. He's a wealthy man. And his little girl is, is almost seeming as good as dead is what some um, translations or some commentaries say. But he's desperate and hope-filled because he's a leader. He's kind of like a power lay person in the church. So he's not necessarily a pastor, but that's what I used to call my, my dad. He's like a power lay person. He'll do whatever the pastor says, and he'll be here every Sunday. He'll be greeting, and one week he'll be taking the offering. The other day he'll be setting up, tearing down. How many people know those power lay people? We got a few of those in the house, um, and Josh Guzman being one of them. If you know Josh Guzman, you better give a cheer right now. 
I want to honor him. He hates that. And then we, we got a lot of people who are just those power lay people. But I want you to know because he's in the house of God as often as he is, he is hope-filled and he's desperate for Jesus. He's desperate to hear from the teacher, but he's experiencing a delay. Because here's what happens. He comes to Jesus and he's just like, Jesus, my, my daughter is is." is dying. I need you. So Jesus goes with him. But then what happens? A crowd is surrounding Jesus. You know, he's coming back to the side of the Sea of Galilee and the shore where people are like so excited about him and not necessarily like believe that he is the son of God, but they're like, I want to see something amazing. Like I want to see him heal somebody. I want somebody, I want to see a miracle. I want to see some demons like cast out of somebody, right? These, this crowd of people isn't necessarily believing in Jesus, but it's just a crowd. And when there's a crowd, there's a lot of commotion. Let's not be, let me just interject, let's not just be a commotion of a group of people. Let's be a, a, a group of people who believe and are waiting and are expectant to see God do something good in our midst. But there's a difference between that and a crowd. So there's a crowd and Jairus is just like, oh great, all these people, these throngs of people are surrounding Jesus and I need him to get to my daughter. And then what happens? I wore this so that I can do an illustration. It popped in my mind first things this, this first service, but this woman grabs Jesus' cloak and Jairus is like, come on. And, and Jesus says, who just touched my garment? And he's like, so, so he's like, who just touched my garment? Who is it? And then this woman comes to speak to Jesus in fear and trembling and says, I did, and tells him the whole story. I want you to put yourself in Jairus' shoes. Your daughter is about to die, and Jesus stops for this woman who is an outcast, who shouldn't be in public. Should, she's a woman, nonetheless. And I want you to imagine what Jairus is feeling at this point. He's experiencing not just a crowd of people, which is like traffic to us, right? It's just traffic and a commotion, right? It's just, it's such an inconvenience. So he's, create, he's actually experiencing one of the greatest delays of his life. You know, you know when you really need God to move on your behalf and then there's something that is roadblocking, it's the greatest inconvenience. And I'm wondering what Jairus is thinking when Jesus stops. And not only... Does he say, who is it? And she doesn't just say, what's up? It was me. No, he, he shares words with her. It says in the word that she, she tells, him in, tells him the whole story. So I'm not trying to be sexist up here or anything because I'm a woman. But I do wonder, you know, when women get to talking and when you tell a story, I wonder if it was like, no, I was healed. Or was it like, well, for the last 12 years... Right? You know, you wonder how much she was talking, and you're just seeing Jairus over here being like, all right, let's go, Jesus. I Come on, let's go. You wonder what he's experienced. I don't know if that's his attitude, but you just wonder what's happening, and there's a delay that you're experiencing. Isn't it so irritating and so frustrating to a point where you almost want to throw a tantrum because things aren't going your way or happening in the time that you want it to, Right? It was really great, you guys, this week. Side note, um, Caleb lost his voice. 
which is why I'm preaching today. But you know the greatest thing about him losing his voice? It's like I was probably like the woman who was hemorrhaging and who got healed, and I was just like, he can't respond to anything I'm saying. He can't stop me from talking. I'm just going to talk and share every last detail of my life and every thought I've ever had without anything in return. And, I, and he just had to sit there and endure. It was the greatest, you guys. Anyways, that's a total side note. But I just wonder how much time, if she's anything like me, was telling her everything that she experienced for the last 12 years, and you wonder, Jairus, what is he experiencing? It's like when we're in an in a, um, emergency room, and it's like, okay, I ha- my arm is bleeding and it's falling off, but you're going to take that little kid who just has a cough, you know? You just wonder what's happening, and, and you're wondering what God is doing because it's like my, my issue is like now. It's immediate. I need you now, but then God is going to help the chick who has the chronic pain the chronic stuff happening. I need, this is life and death, Jesus, but I want you to be encouraged today to not let the delays of Jesus create distance from you and Jesus. I think what we do when God delays is we create distance. And we say, okay, Lord, I want you to move on my behalf, but it's taking longer. Well, that's too long. Nah, you're taking even longer. And you know when we're saying you're taking longer, we're saying, okay, well then I'm not going to go to church anymore because fine, you're not going to move on my behalf. Why would I worship you with everybody else? And everybody's just going to say they're praying for me. I'm going to be discouraged. I don't want to deal with that. So then I'm just going to just push myself over here and be like, well, fine, if you're not going to come through me, why do I even need to pray to you? If you're not going to come through me, why am I even listening to Christian music? Why am I even worshiping? Why would I even go to that event at church? Why? And we find ourselves in isolation and in distance from the family of God and distance from the presence of God where our healing takes place. And I want you to understand, and I've said this before, that the enemy's greatest tactic is to create distance between you and God. It's not to create pain in your life. Pain we're supposed to rejoice in. Distance is what he wants. And so I want to implore you today to not let the delays of Jesus create any distance between you and Jesus. Because when we stay close to Jesus, the pain from our problem can actually become potential for our problem. And there's a few principles that come out of this passage that I see. Number one being this, some problems need spiritual solutions. Some problems need spiritual solutions. I'm thinking about this chick who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Earthly problem. She's spent all of her money, all of her money. She's flat broke. She's she spent all her money on physician after physician, and then she went to a doctor and another doctor. And I wonder, in this day and age, when there, a lot of mysticism is happening and there's a lot of other gods and powers at be that are being um, worshipped, and I, I say in this day and age, dude, we're doing that now. We're, we're calling out to the universe. We're calling out to witches. We're calling out to all kinds of things in this day and age. But I'm telling you right now that it's not going to leave you satisfied. It's going to leave you even more empty. And I'm telling you, she was so desperate for God, for, for Jesus in this moment that she, all she wanted to do was touch his cloak. If I could just touch his cloak. But here's the thing. She's flat broke. She has nothing. She has nothing. And what, how often do we in our experiences, in our delays, are we just going after earthly solution after earthly solution, seeking the counsel of man, 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 when God is saying, Pray. When God is saying, rely on me. When God is saying, trust in me. Come to me. I have all wisdom. I'm omniscient. I'm omnipotent. I can be and do anything that you want me to do. 
I need you to seek me. In the distance, we have to draw near to Jesus and understand that there are spiritual solutions that we need. There are spiritual solutions, and let's not be afraid of being too spiritual. I think that we've come into a time where we're so afraid of being too spiritual that we're actually conforming to the things of this world. We're conforming to the things of this world, and God is saying, I don't work naturally. I'm supernatural. I'm a supernatural God. Now, you can do supernatural things without being weird. I'm not talking about weird, all right? It's a different thing. Don't be so weird. We can talk about that another day. But some problems need spiritual solutions. Some problems need spiritual solutions. But also, number two, another principle that we learn about our pain and it becoming the potential for our problem is our perception often misses God's intention. God's intention. You know, the disciples are actually like, Jesus, are you serious? Are you, are you seriously asking the God of the universe, Jesus, man, you are saying that, like, who touched me? Like, that's what we're concerned about. There's some, you know, there's crowds around you, probably people bumping into you, people wanting to see a miracle. And so the disciples are like, what, like, their perception is just like, yeah, there's people around you bumping you. And like, yeah, maybe somebody touched you, but we have somewhere to be, Right? And we have a perception of what's going on, but God's intention is always, he ha- he's working something. He's working something always. And when he asks the question, we better incline our ear to listen because he has an intention for us that he wants to reveal to us. So Jesus, Jesus shows us that our perception misses his intention often. Power left Jesus. He felt that power left him. And so this is an instance where you see that God is fully God. He knows that power left him, but he's also fully man. Yeah, I, I think we forget that about Jesus. We think that he's like this like magician or like this, this weird, he's a human. And he's 100% human. We see this in scripture, 100% God, but 100% human. And he's like, who? Who touched me? And he turns around. And you know what his intention was? His intention was to let her know that, you know, you've been seeking physician and doctor after doctor. And you may have even thought this was a fluke because there's a lot of people in the crowd. But I want you to know that it was me who healed you. I'm not going to give anybody else credit for this. It was me. My intention, despite your perception, is that I did that for you. And when God turns around and he asks who and he wants to make eye-to-eye contact with us, he's just wanting to tell us, that was for you. I did this for you. Don't make, don't make no mistake that any other doctor did that for you. I worked through that doctor. Don't make any mistake that the person who prayed for you down here did it. I worked through that person. Don't make any mistake that he is at work and he gets all the credit. Despite our perception... He has a great intention. Number three, another principle is that our impatience sets the stage for God's presentation of love. Our patience or impatience, right? How many people would call themselves patient? How many people would call themselves impatient? All right, there you go. Thank you. Thank you for commiserating with me. But our patience sets the stage for God's presentation of love. Here's the thing. What this scripture shows me is that Jesus will not be hurried. He will not be hurried. Even if it's a life or death situation, that's actually hard to hear, I understand. But Jesus will not 
be hurried, but we have to understand that God doesn't work in our sense of time. Our sense of time is finite. His is infinite. He has all infinite. He created time. So we have to understand that God's sense of timing will always confound ours. You know, it makes me think about how Caleb feels when he um, goes to weddings with my family. Like, so I, I don't know if I've told you this. I've told you many times. I'm Filipina. And full Filipina. Oh, I love it. That's right. What's up, Jace? Okay. Um, I know him. Um, so I... So I was so excited um, when we got married that Caleb was going to meet my whole family. So mind you, just a little background. My dad, um, I'm not even go to my mom's side, and that, they're crazier. But my dad's side has uh, ten. My dad has nine brothers and sisters, and each of them had at least three kids on average. Okay, so like, so like one family had two, but then a ton of other families had like three or four kids or five. So I'm like 30-something, I think 36 in the amount of cousins that there are. And then there's like when Caleb married in the family, there was like 50-something um, by the time everybody got married, right? So we just keep on adding to our numbers, you know. And so at our wedding, um, Caleb met our family for the first time, right? And then when, when, you know, they called for the Cole family to come up, it was like 12 white people, and it was like, hey, taking pictures, right? Yeah. It's not racist. I'm just, that's his color. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I, when it said DACO family, come up, it was like, the whole I mean, the whole group, all the invitees, they came up and then they were there and it was like Caleb was this giant 6'4 dude and looking down on all these Filipinos and they're like, hi, Caleb, and he met him for the first time. It was awesome. So it was like really different for him to experience this. But then it got even weirder when um, we started attending weddings. Started attending weddings and um, he, he would, we would get in some arguments because he's like, every wedding, you're just taking your time. Do you not even care that we're late? And I'm like, babe, we're chill. We're good. We're good. Don't stress, man. Like, we're good. And if you're a Filipino, you know what it's like. Because here's what happens. He's just like, we're getting fights. I'm like, it's fine, babe. We're fine. I'm telling you, they'll start late. And so a couple weddings, they started like 15, 20 minutes late. And then the third wedding, oh, man, the third wedding into our marriage, he was so mad at me. He's like, I know that they're late, but this is really late. I was like, believe me. Believe me. We get there. And the wedding doesn't start for 30 minutes, right? But we were an hour late, you guys. Okay, so I just want you to understand, just Caleb can relate. Like he, he understands that timing is confounding, like it confounds him, you know, sometimes because our timing is not my culture's timing, right? God's timing is not our timing. And we can get really impatient, but I wanted to tell Caleb, I, I understand my family. I understand, I have a 30,000 foot, like, perception of what's going on here chill the freak out you know and so so I think that's what God's saying to us sometimes I understand the grand picture I've been here from the beginning of time and I'm going to be here at the very end and I've won I, I have the victory I know how everything's going to play out chill chill my sons and daughters chill and and it's a very loving chill and I was loving towards my husband in the first year of marriage. You were super loving. I was just like, you just got to understand. Here's this, Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. And I'm going to read in the message version. But this portion of scripture, I really actually think, sets up a backdrop for what we're seeing in, in these Jesus delays. 
But it says this, seek God while he's here to be found. Pray to him while he's close at hand. Let the wicked abandon their way of life and the evil their way of thinking. Evil their way of thinking. Let them come back to God who is merciful and come back to God who is lavish with forgiveness. And let me, this is the part I really want you to hear. I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. For as the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond the way you think. Do you hear that? And we should be encouraged by this. The way a perfect God and creator of the universe thinks and his timing is completely different than our finite minds and understanding of earthly timing. We should be encouraged by that. And it's like the song says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. God is always working. His time is, is, is better than our time and our understanding. And I, I want to employ you, I want to say to you, I will, he, he's saying, I, I will not be hurried. I am the God of the universe. I will not be hurried by you. But I think sometimes when we hear that, we're like, okay, he's saying, I will not be hurried. I'm the God of the universe, but I love you. No, I don't think he's saying that. I think he's saying, I will not be hurried because I love you. I'm working in the timing that's best for you. It's best for you, and I love you so much that I'm not going to let your timing work out for you. But I'm going to work some other things out in your minds and in your perceptions, and I'm going to wait till they shift and then and help you understand that my timing was perfect. That's the way God works. And if we insist on, on imposing our sense of timing onto God, then I really believe that we're going to start feeling that we're not loved by God, and it will largely be our own faults. It's our own faults. Because we serve a loving God whose timing is perfect, and we need to yield to him and trust him in that. I know it's hard, but I don't know how else to encourage you except that we serve a God who has infinite power, and his timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. Let's just trust in that. And if we trust God to move on the situation, in the situations that we're facing, like move on finding me a husband, move on finding me a job, move on making my business blow up. When we're, if we're trusting him to do those big, crazy, amazing things in our lives, then we got to trust him that his timing has got to work it out. But sometimes we're like, oh, I trust you to do things that I want you to do. I'm not so much going to trust you on the timing. But it's a total, like, departure from saying I'm a Christ follower who, who trusts in an all-knowing, all-powerful God. Timing really trips us up. But I want to encourage you today. His timing is perfect, and he will not be hurried because he loves us so much. Our patience or impatience sets the stage for God to present his great love for us. And so I said that there's delays of Jesus, but I want to move on to this concept of the defiances of Jesus. The defiances of Jesus. It was a great another D word to really help me keep the alliteration in this message. But <laughs> what I mean by defiances is that there's a lot of values that this world holds to that really line up and adhere to our timing, right? But I believe that the grace of God defies the world's values, the grace of God does not make sense. It doesn't make sense. I, I want you to think about it for a second. Even in this situation between Jairus and in this situation with this woman who has been bleeding. Jairus is a man and 
this woman is a female, obviously. And here's what's taking place is that Jesus is helping a man, but then he stops to help a woman. That doesn't make sense in this culture, number one. Number two, Jairus is a synagogue ruler, and the woman is ceremonially unclean. So you would think that, okay, I'm going to help the one who's been faithful in the church, but this one who is an outcast, he goes and helps. Do you understand that this is the grace of God in operation in this time? Also, I want you to understand that Jairus is rich. He had a job. And this chick is flat out poor, has nothing. Jairus is at the top of the food chain. This woman is at the bottom of the food chain. And, and I think we, we need to understand that Jairus is waiting, yes, and he's giving his undivided attention to this woman, yes, and he treats her like there's no one else in the crowd. That is the kind of God that we serve that does the things that flips our understanding upside down. He inverts the world's values by showing and releasing the grace that he has. The grace of God changes and defies the values of this world. I love 1 Corinthians 27, 29 because it talks about this so eloquently. But it says this, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that the no human being might boast in the presence of God. He chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And I felt Holy Spirit tell me this morning, preparing for this message, that you have walked in this place and did not think that you were enough to receive the grace of God, but you are enough. His grace is enough for all of us. Some of you are thinking, I don't know enough about the word. I don't know enough about, I haven't been coming to church very long. I don't give very much money. But you are enough for the grace of God. He created you. That's all you need. All you need to know and understand is that you're his and he wants to love you and he wants to pour out his grace over your life and over your situation. The grace of God confounds the wise, confounds the religious person, confounds the smartest scholar and biblical theologian of all time. That is the God that we serve. And you know what? I'm going to just admit this. When I'm waiting on the delays of God and I'm not willing to, to understand or really embrace this concept of God's grace that his grace is making me wait kind of thing. Like when I'm not willing to um, embrace that, I realize that Jesus is just trying to smack the, in a very gentle, loving way, self-righteousness and arrogance out of me. I want you to think about the moments that you've been so frustrated with God that you've been throwing a tantrum, you've been stomping your foot, you've been gritting your teeth, and you've been wailing to God and saying, why, why not, when, Lord, that he's just trying to get you to stop being arrogant. And, stop, and he's just saying, no, I love you so much. Your own, the righteousness that you have is only through me. So let's get rid of that self-righteousness. Let's get rid of that. It says this, um, or Elizabeth Lash Quinn. She's an author and a scholar and a professor at Syracuse University. She said this, and, and it applies to the self-righteousness. In our culture, we are taught that everything that is not us is there to be manipulated by us for our own ends. That's not just our culture. That's just human nature. 
And so we have to understand that God's timing is the best timing and God is wanting to refine us and shift our perspective from being super self-focused and really set on his righteousness, set on his grace, set on his goodness and his intentions for us, for us which are good. Do you believe that this morning? His ten- intentions for us are good. So the defiances of Jesus, man, it, it, it helps, it may not totally eliminate the pain. Because sometimes when we press into the pain, we realize that there's purpose in the pain and it's actually good for us. It's kind of like when you work out and you're in pain. It's like when you run for a long time, you're in pain, right? Sometimes the pain is good for our gain, right? (laughs) I didn't say that for a service. (laughs) But here's the thing. The greatest potential our pain produces, I believe, is desperation in God is desperation in God. So let's, let's talk about that for a moment, the desperation of Jesus's followers. Jairus was desperate for God, so desperate. And this woman, she was so desperate. But here's what I want you to understand. When we get desperate for God, it doesn't remove the pain from our lives, but it helps us press into the pain and understand and be close to the one who wants relationship with us. This whole life that we live The goal is to be in close relationship with the God of the universe. And when we can understand that the God of the universe loves us and wants to be in relationship with us, we're okay with the timing. We're okay with his timing. So we need that to be revealed to us. But I want you to understand that when we're desperate, there are a few things that you can expect. Just two things, final points of the message this morning. But we can expect in desperation, number one, you will give him and receive from him more than you expected. Let me, let me talk about that for a, little, for a moment. You will give God and receive from him more than you expected. Listen, about, think about Jairus. He came to Jesus just saying, I need a cure for my, my, daughter's, for my daughter's fever. But when he came to Jesus, God just didn't give him a cure for a fever. He gave him resurrection from death. That's the God that we serve. He gets resurrection. Jairus was thinking, I need to trust God enough to make it through this crowd, to make it through this chatty Kathy, and I need to make it to my daughter, and I need to trust him enough just that he would be there. I need to trust him enough to to help her through this struggle. But you know what God asked him to trust him through? He asked him to trust him through death. So sometimes when we are in desperate mode, we're going to give him more than we expect. And we're going to, but, but we're going to receive more than we ever expected to receive from him. Because that's who he is. That's the kind of God we serve. I want you to think even about this woman. It was like, I just need a healing. I just need a healing. I just need to touch this cloak. And, and God's saying, okay, yeah, I healed you, but you know what I expect from you? I expect for you to tell, go tell people that I was the one who healed you, that I was the one who gave you peace. And you're like, I mean, I know some of us have experienced that. You're just like, okay, I, I came to church, Lord. But then God says, I expect more. Now get baptized, now tithe, now, now be a part of this and be part of that and, and start giving to your community. There's all these things that we actually end up giving God more. But then what happens is that God gives us more back and he expe- exceeds our expectations on what he wants to give us. And what he gave her wasn't just a measly healing for earthly times. He gave her eternal life that transformed her life for the rest of her time on earth. 
the God that we serve, you will give him more, more than you expect when you're finally desperate for his presence in your life. But he will give you more than you ever expected. You know, I was talking to a friend a couple weeks ago and um, she's just this chick who like wakes up early, she does her devotion, she prays religiously, she's, she's always in the word, she's always sharing, she has lots of prophetic words and she's just that woman that I wanna be close to because I know she spends so much time with Jesus and I, I'm, just, I'm just encouraging her, I'm, I'm just telling her, man, that's awesome. And she's just like, yeah, you know, people are always like, you're super disciplined with your time, you're super disciplined with your workers, you're super, super disciplined with all these things. But I told them, and I love this, this is my friend Angela. She said, I'm not, I, I may be disciplined. You might see it as discipline, but it's not discipline. I'm just so desperate for the presence of God in my life. And I believe that we in this place have to get over this idea of coming to church every time because I'm supposed to be at church. Oh, I'm gonna sign up for Hope Week because I should be serving. Oh, I'm gonna give because that's what I should be doing. And I'm checking off a list and I'm making all these achievements. And God's saying, no, you don't need to be disciplined more for me. You need to be desperate for me because you cannot do this life in the understanding of your timing you can't do this life without me we've got to get so desperate for the presence of God so that we can be at peace with his timing and understand that he's going to exceed our expectations every single time when we put our trust in him when we put our trust in him so what can you expect in desperation that he will give you will give more to him than you expect to, but you will receive more than you could ever expect. And number two, God will prove himself more powerful and personal than you can ever imagine. He's not just this far off God who's saying, I am at dominion and I'm just gonna let things happen when I want them to. No, he's so personal. And he says, I know what you're going through. I know the pain. I know what it was like to live on this earth by sending Jesus. I understand. I can commiserate with you. I understand. I walked the same roads that you walked. I had the same struggles that you had. I saw and I felt the same hurts that you felt. But I am so personal about your pain that I'm going to allow my timing to work out perfectly in your life so that you can have a full revelation of who I am. So you can have a full revelation and an appreciation and gratitude for what I'm doing and how I'm at work. God will prove himself more powerful and personal than you can ever imagine. I love that Jesus does this. He's, you know, all these people are wailing and weeping and they're like, oh, Jesus, you're too late. She's already died. She's died. And Jesus is saying, you know, she's just asleep. And, and don't be confused. She was dead. I'm just saying that point blank. She was, she was dead. And he used the same language um, in other texts where he's writ, allowed Lazarus to be raised from the dead, okay? So this, this was just his way of saying, okay, you're weeping, you're wailing, but I'm about to change the circumstance. He's sleeping, she's sleeping. You're, about, you're gonna see a miracle take place. But what he does is he brings the close disciples in with him. And he doesn't do this to bring more commotion to himself. I think sometimes we 
um, in, in Christian circles are like, oh, all these amazing things happening. And it kind of creates a commotion and this noise. But God wants to say to every single one of you individually that he's working personally on each of your situations. And he's so gracious and he's so respectful that he'll bring us into privacy, into the room, and with her family in the room who are weeping and who are sad and his disciples. And then all he does is he sits next to this woman, this girl, and he says, in, in, in some people don't understand this, this translation because it said, little girl, I say to you, rise. No, he's saying what he said to the woman who was hemorrhaging. He says, daughter, you have been healed. Go in peace. What he's saying is that I love you so much like a daughter. He's actually the translation that, that of this phrase, little girl, I say to you, rise. He's actually saying, honey, rise. Honey, rise. It's not just that I'm going to provide a healing for you. I'm going to adopt you into my family like you're my daughter. Like you are my very own daughter. That's the kind of love he has for us. That's how powerful it is. Here's the thing. I want you to remember this because I said this in the messages a couple weeks ago. That Jesus didn't have to conjure up anything to quiet the storm. Jesus didn't have to say like all these cantations to bring this person back to life. All he said was arise. All he said was, peace be still. That is the power that God has. And he can do things publicly like he did for the hemorrhaging woman. But what he also does is he works so intimately and quietly and, and respectfully and even privately in our situations, so specific to the need that we have because he's a powerful God. But not only is he powerful, but he just is so personal. He's personal with us. So I want you to think about the pain that you're experiencing in your life and there's potential for you to be revealed the, the greatness of who God is, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his power is so wonderful and it's so perfect for us. His timing is perfect. And I just want you to be encouraged this morning that he's a powerful and personal God working in your life. You believe that today? This word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.